0: part of the pie is the infilling this week we're filling up our episode with infill we're not
1: phoning it in we're highlighting the guests we still get starting credits hi i'm troy i'm mac and we're speaking Speaking Municipally.
0: municipally welcome back to speaking municipally episode 140 where edmonton has no smoke you know what it's the best part of a podcast mac Regional weather banter. Oh, yeah. It's so accessible to listeners,
1: especially on repeat listenings. Everybody knows what you're talking about. It's the friendliest form of small talk.
0: The unfriendliest form of recapping the news, though, is the rapid fire segment. The University of Alberta recently launched a refreshed website and brand. On the page detailing the launch, the university says, quote, Our new look embodies our brand promise to lead and work together with purpose, end quote. It then goes on to detail its commitment to be, quote, problem solvers, change makers, community builders, world shapers, and truth seekers, end quote. Spotting the corporate BS, I fed this, as one is wont to do, into an AI text generator to get the rest of the story. And it continues as, quote, when you join us, your time will pay dividends. A full year of teaching and development will pay dividends too. What have we accomplished so far? A very small percentage, less than 15% of the student enrolls at our classes from last summer. Less than 5% have graduated. End quote. So
1: there you have it, an AI predictive model of what's coming with UCP cuts. Candidates allegedly came out swinging at the first mayoral debate of the 2021 election. While the private invite-only event for business leaders that excluded the public and the media may have raised grim questions about the health of democracy... Organizer KV Capital was quick to point out that the inverse was true. Just the people in the small ballroom where the event took place represent a higher population turnout than the last municipal election. On July 15th, eight
0: days before the Olympics started doling out awards, the Canadian Institute of Planners presented its Award for Planning Excellence in New and Emerging Planning Initiatives to the City of Edmonton for its open option parking plan. The award, whose title literally took eight days to say, was presented to the city of Edmonton in front of an audience absolutely packed with everyone who cared. When we talked to him, his name is Steve, to ask him what he thought of the award, he said, whoops, sorry, I had the CBC live stream of the opening ceremonies going on my phone.
1: Did Toronto win something again? Speaking municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by Shift Podcast by Alberta Innovates. Shift showcases the work being done in the province's innovation ecosystem, everything from health to clean energy. Join hosts Katie Dean and John Hagen as they interview the researchers, entrepreneurs, and businesses that are shifting our perspective about innovation in the province. The latest episode features Jana Rieger from True Angle Medical discussing creativity, research, and of course, being an entrepreneur. Find Shift Podcast by Alberta Innovates on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this one. You can also find it at shift.albertainnovates.ca. That's shift.albertainnovates.ca. Our first guest, we'll get right
0: into it because it's our only guest. You know, we have these tentpole guests that we come on sometimes, and this is one of those examples. We're going to be talking to her the whole episode because there's a lot of ground to cover, though I suppose, and you'll get this once I introduce her less ground and we should make better use of the stuff that we have. Our guest is Mariah Samji. She's the executive director of the Infill Development in Edmonton Association, more commonly known as IDEA, and she's here to talk to us all about Infill. Welcome to the show, Mariah.
2: Thanks so much for having me on. I'm so excited to talk about Infill with you.
1: Uh, Who who wouldn't be excited to talk about Infill? You talk about Infill all day at work and now you've come to talk to us about it,
0: so we appreciate it. (laughs) You know, I actually feel that with our guests sometimes and I wonder if you get this too, Mariah, is like, I'm a software developer, but when it hits four o'clock and I'm done work for the day, I'm not writing code. I'm like, I I did my nine to five. I'm I'm done there. But I mean, we have guests on like you who are Here at 7.30, talking about infill, do you ever get tired of just like living and breathing this one thing?
2: Unfortunately for my husband, I do not. (laughs) (laughs) And all of my poor friends that have to hear about fire hydrants and tree protection and everything in between. Yeah, I do kind of live and breathe infill.
0: So I'm sure we'll get into all of that. But I think the best place to start is just tell us a bit about yourself and... What is IDEA, what is this organization, what does it do?
2: I've been with the organization for the past four years as the executive director. IDEA is actually eight years old. It was started up by a group of developers, architects, and community members that saw that development patterns were changing within the city of Edmonton. uh, And there needed to be a cohesive voice for the city of Edmonton to kind of lean on as they made changes to the zoning bylaw, to policies and practices, uh, and help the community navigate all these changes in the industry navigate all these changes so it started off very grassroots we're, we're still kind of grassroots and it was a place for people to come together share ideas and really talk to people about what infill looks and feels like as our city grows
0: so this is a private and community organization it doesn't have any official involvement from the city
2: no, we're a nonprofit organization. Our membership includes developers, builders, architects, community members, realtors, landscape architects, planners. We're or- A tight staff of one, (laughs) but we do work with the city of Edmonton a lot. Uh, But no, we're not funded or affiliated uh, financially with the city of Edmonton.
1: And how did you specifically get involved? Like, where did you fall in love with Infill along the way?
2: My story is a little interesting. I went to the University of Alberta for elementary education. Uh, I love kids and I love what it can do for people as they grow up. However, I saw that as our city was growing, communities didn't really work for all types of people at all different ages and spectrums. And I wanted to help influence Edmonton as as it grew. So I went back to school for urban planning and human geography. And I did an after degree there. And I met this woman named Tegan Martin Drysdale, who actually helped start Idea. She came and spoke in one of my classes, she's a developer, about flex housing and what that can do for people. So flex housing is a type of development that lives and breathes kind of with you as you grow up. So it works for you when you're maybe in a a single stage of life and as you grow into partnerships or if you have kids or if parents end up living with you it it's adaptable as we grow and she was so passionate and really I wanted to work for a badass woman in the industry so I contacted her once I was out of school and the rest was kind of history
1: Awesome. Tegan's done a lot for Edmonton. That's I can see why you would have been taken with her and uh, pretty cool that you got to work with
2: her. Yeah, it's really fantastic.
1: Okay, so we've got to shift now away from you a little bit to your work. You love infill, you're passionate about infill, but what does that actually mean? What is infill? I know you folks have a definition on your website, but how do you explain infill to people?
2: I know that a lot of people within cities like Edmonton that see infill as skinny houses or Two single family homes that have replaced one single family home that was there before. But it's so much more than that. It's residential, it's commercial, it's institutional, it's all the fun things in between. But it's really redeveloping spaces that already have existing infrastructure into new spaces that meet the needs of today. So whether that's a garden suite or a row house or something like Roger's Place, it's all infill.
1: Wait, wait, wait. Roger's Place is infill?
2: Rogers Place is infill. There was ex- existing infrastructure. They they took down development there that was no longer the need of the community at the time. They've built something up that uh, is used for something different.
1: Troy, if you stopped 100 people on the street and asked them if Rogers Place was infill, how many do you think would say yes? <laughs> <laughs> if you consider people getting mad about skinny houses, if my neighbor demolishes his house and
0: installs a Rogers Place, <laughs> I'm going to be a little frustrated. <laughs> I think what I'm getting at is that usually I think people mean residential. I think it's important to establish that context. And it's very interesting that you've brought this up, Mariah, because when we talk about infill, and especially in the context of policy, almost 100% of the time, we're talking about residential infill and, you know, the stuff that you're talking about, the home construction to increase density. It's not what You're rightly calling infill that like, oh, there's an industrial area and we took down a warehouse and installed an office building, which of course is infill when you think about it, but not when most of us think about it.
2: I'm sure we'll get into this later into the discussion, but I think as a city, Edmonton has made a really impactful strides around residential infill, the conversation of. What is it? How to help communities understand it. They're getting more comfortable with medium scale. Uh, So like anything from row housing up uh, in between that and a tower. But what's coming next is commercial infill and bringing back different types of vibrancy to communities. And I'm not sure that we've completely included the community and that's what's coming next.
0: I mean, now is a good time. Let's pull on that thread a little bit. Edmontonians, at least listeners to this podcast, pretty contextually understand the need for increased density in our residential spaces. We understand that we can't sprawl out. We understand road cost. We're not gonna go over everything we understand, but we get all of that. But is there a similar analog that exists in Edmonton for our commercial spaces? Like, are our commercial spaces equally sprawling? Do we need to build skinny houses for strip malls? Like, what's what's the commercial analog and what are we? Where are we on that?
2: So we're really at the beginning stage of it. it. Uh, I think a lot of Edmontonians know the wonderful space, Ritchie Market. It's got some great tenants in there that bring people from all over the neighborhood and people all really around the city. It's got a great restaurant in there. It's got great coffee. It's got a great event space if you haven't used it. Idea has been able to throw some pretty rad events there pre-COVID. That space was funded by someone who had a lot of capital,
0: a Bioware level of capital, <laughs>
2: <laughs> Bioware level of capital. Um, and if if you know the story, you know that like because there was a Bioware level of capital, that development was possible. But that's not possible in a lot of neighborhoods because it's just so expensive. It's really hard to get investors, and it's really hard to upgrade the infrastructure, capital wise, for that type of development. If you're wanting it at such a neighborhood. scale. uh, scale. But if we start to redevelop some of our wonderful strip strip malls into really funky spaces and give builders and developers and tenants more of an agency to bring back that beautiful space that something like Ritchie Market has created, we will start to see these mature neighborhoods fill up again. Uh, Something that I recently learned from the Catholic school system is that they've seen families return to Ritchie because of that neighborhood draw, because of that uh, specific commercial building. But other neighborhoods aren't seeing that because they don't have those amenities.
1: So what I'm hearing is that this commercial infill, in a lot of ways, is geared toward supporting residential infill and, and supporting the growth of residential neighborhoods in existing areas. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, it's all kind of an ecosystem. So residential needs commercial, commercial needs residential, and they both need better transportation options.
1: (laughs) Okay, that's really interesting. Just before we move away from definitions, you've already expanded our horizons a little bit in thinking about commercial, but I wanted to ask you about Blatchford and the Exhibition Lands, which the city of Edmonton likes to talk about as the biggest and second biggest infill opportunities in Edmonton. And I want to get your take on that because to me, those... I understand they meet the definition they're, they're within you know existing part of our city. We're going to do something new with them. But to me, they have a lot more in common with greenfield development. And the kinds of infill that seem to come up at council all the time is not whole planned communities or, or neighborhoods. But I suppose, strictly speaking, that is infill as well.
2: So that is infill as well, because the, the existing infrastructure is, uh, is there, there definitely does need to be some revamping of that infrastructure and revamping of the, of the road networks for those areas to be successful. But within IDEA, we're helping to move those neighborhoods forward to make sure that they get the attention that they need to be successful. Because if, if we don't give them attention, they'll sit the way they are, um, which I don't think our city wants.
1: It sounds like there'd be very different needs, though, for the developers you're working with there versus, you know, maybe an uh, individual developer who's doing something in a neighborhood with a skinny home. Is that challenging to try to bridge that gap? Like they almost seem like they wouldn't have anything in common.
2: We talked a little bit about Tegan before, but she's—you uh, may know that she's one of the developers building in Blatchford, and she's been able to take her infill knowledge of building other types of developments within Edmonton and apply it to Blatchford. Um, So the last time I spoke to her, and you should definitely have her on to speak more about it, there's great lessons learned about what we can do within Blatchford and bring that to other neighborhoods to have them be successful. As we grow our city and as as cities grow around the world, we're going to need to be more conscious of how we build our building practices to be more uh, environmentally sustainable because, you know, we can't continue warming.
1: (laughs) Well, we can, but it won't be pleasant. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think we've been feeling those effects recently.
0: You mentioned the uh, Blatchford development and how we're developing in there, how we're developing in the exhibition lands, and how developers interact with there. I know Councillor Michael Walters and to an extent, Merrill Candidate Ostrie have talked about this in the past, where they've argued that the city shouldn't be developing on these lands and the city should have just sold the land and had private developers develop on it. From Ideas' perspective, I know you represent both developers and community interests. What's the take on that? Is there a better or worse way of doing that? What are the downsides of each of these?
2: Well, I think both have their positive and negatives. But what's really important is the city does need to be involved in different capacities because they're such important projects for our city as we grow. Uh, and because They're innovative, they're looking to do something that we haven't done in any mature neighborhood and we haven't done any greenfield neighborhood. So for us to be coordinated with EPCOR to the level of detail that we will need to be, the city needs to be involved. For us to push forward the agenda on climate resilient buildings and energy efficient neighborhoods uh, and electrifying our grids, we we need the city involved. So whether they play the role as the developer or play the role to help create financial incentives, or play the role of mediating between the two to have the outcomes that we need. It's a it's a big role they play.
0: <laughs> okay. So let's talk about the city's role because I think the biggest role the city has in terms of infill, at least in recent memory, is the development of the city plan and you know our infill roadmap. Where are we right now? Because, you know, when I think about Edmonton's infill success rate, I think of aspirational infill plans and woefully failing to meet them.
2: Are we doing better these days? We are. And uh, I think one thing that we've seen over COVID is infill has stayed strong throughout the whole time. People are still looking for options to live within our mature neighborhoods and within different uh, development types. So as... We grow as a city. People are looking and are are excited to live closer together because they know to live closer together means more amenities as well. The style of just single family homes doesn't work for those neighborhoods and people are starting to understand that more and more. And to be honest, people live differently than we than we used to. For example, me and my husband, both working professionals, we don't have the time and capacity to take care of a whole house and and. A front and backyard. So we live in a condo because that's what we have the capacity for. People are looking for those options within mature neighborhoods. We're still holding strong. The city is still looking, not just the city uh, as like administration, but Edmontonians are still looking for those options and at different price points.
1: So, just on the progress, I believe the municipal development plan, our previous, you know, the precursor to city plan targeted 25% for infill. Do you know where we're at, what the number is?
2: Uh, so the last time I saw, we were hovering around 23%, um, and I know... It's pretty good.
1: The, it's better than I thought, actually.
2: Yeah, it, it is, and when that first target was set, I know <laughs> I've heard from conversations that people thought that was unachievable. Right. Um, and so for us now, with this new city plan, having the target set at 50%, it will be a grind. It, it will take a lot of work. It will take a lot of coordination, but... I think we have all the right pieces to get there. We just need to make sure we're implementing and actioning them as we go along.
1: I do remember that conversation that the 25% was, you know, pie in the sky, like never going <laughs> to happen. And for the first part of, you know, the last 10 years, I think that was true. Like it, we weren't anywhere close to it. I seem to recall us on the podcast a few years ago, calling it pie in the sky.
0: <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> we,
1: we very well, very might well have. Uh is high, as you say. I saw earlier this month that Edmonton was behind only Toronto in terms of the number of single detached home starts for the previous month. So we are still building lots of greenfield sprawl types of houses. But you say you think we've got the tools in place. Like what are the things that is going to make it possible for us to hit anything close to 50% net new with infill?
2: So one of the biggest tools is a cost-share program that IDEA, the City of Edmonton, and EPCOR piloted. We started the pilot about two years ago. It had $2.4 million in it to help pay for water main and hydrant infrastructure because our mature neighborhoods are deficient in fire protection right now. And so what happens is if a developer goes in and they want to build anything that has more than three units codes change and fire protection changes and so you need to upgrade the area and there's already a deficiency and the upgrades are unknown and you don't know the price before you buy the lot and it takes about six to eight months to get what the actual costs of upgrading that infrastructure will be and it ranges anywhere between 40,000 to about 2.4 million dollars which is killing (laughs) quite the range. Yeah. It's, it is a huge range and the average is $360,000. So if you're building eight units, you can't spread that over that. If you're building 40 units, you can't spread that over that. The projects that we're looking for and people are wanting to live in, you can't do like, they just, they're dead in the water before they even start. Uh, And it's the same thing for commercial unfilled. They're getting hit with these same costs. So, what we did was we brought this up as a concern to city council and they said, let's let's figure this out. Let's find a way uh, to share these costs and to move this forward. Because it's not just that new development that's uh, benefiting from new infrastructure and new fire hydrants and water protection. It's, it's everyone in the area.
1: So that wasn't in the infill roadmap, right? That wasn't one of the actions. That wasn't something that had come up previously.
2: So we saw this uh, starting uh, to come up before the infill roadmap 2.0 was finalized. Um, so it wasn't in the first iteration of the infill roadmap, but action 16, develop an infrastructure cost sharing system, was in the second iteration of and the And that's what roadmap. this is
1: about. Okay. So where I was going with that question is I'm concerned and I want to know if I should be because I've heard that the infill roadmap 2.0 is the final version. It is now going to be retired and that the work of the infill roadmap will be sustained through city plan. But city plan doesn't say a whole heck of a lot about infill. I think it only mentions the word like 26 times in the whole document. And half of those are just repeated things. Uh, Don't we need a more concrete plan to take this forward?
2: So it does exist within city plan, but it more fully exists within things like growth management framework, district planning, zoning bylaw renewal. And I do think we need to have a bit of a infill roadmap on commercial. Okay. So I don't think we we should be fully done with our roadmaps um, because as, as you know, change is hard no matter who's going through that change. But as a city, we'll be going through that change together. So we need to lay out what does it mean? What will it look like? How can we go through the hurdles together? Because there'll be goods and bads with, with new development. And we need to be upfront with the community and with industry as those changes happen.
0: So let's talk about some of the tools that we have to actually increase our infill because, you know, we're, we're talking in the abstract right now. We want 50% of infill. But what does that actually look like on the ground? Because if half of all of our new construction has to be infill, I think the area on the ground is probably going to change pretty radically. And I think of something like the mature neighborhood overlay where I live, where we basically have this codified city legislation saying this neighborhood can never, ever, ever change ever. And you all get exactly what you got in the 1940s forever. And that can't work for 50% new infill. And we're going to need more than just a couple skinny houses to achieve this, right? What what is it going to look like on the ground?
2: (laughs) (laughs) 1,000%. The the rules have to change. Uh, The planning tools have to change. The funding mechanisms have to change. The way we look at infrastructure uh, and our infrastructure standards have to change. But we're in the middle of working on all that right now. I'm not guaranteeing that it'll be perfect because I will still keep keep my hands on the wheel to make sure that we get there. Uh, and I hope that everyone listening to this will also help me in that endeavor. But things like the Mature Neighborhood Overlay are on its way out. It was necessary for the time.
0: Music to my ears.
2: Yes, <laughs> mine as well. Uh, I think it did... Did, did things, uh, some good things. <laughs> it
0: did, it things. did things. I am comfortable airing that. That is a true fact.
2: <laughs> yes, uh, I, you can quote me on that. It did things. Um, but it's it's time for a new iteration. New people are involved in the conversation, having their voices heard. I, I'm not sure if, if you've heard the city of Edmonton just created a GBA plus and equity toolkit that really allows for more voices at the table to share their perspectives on how they want to live and grow and play and work and all the fun things. And I think the MNO was was created in a little bit of a tunnel of voices. So we're moving forward.
1: <laughs> okay, well, I need to push back on the MNO though for both of you because I feel like there's a lot of people who do want things to stay the way they were in the 1940s. We consistently hear that infill, how do they put it? changes the character of their neighborhoods, which is, you know, I think in a lot of cases code language for I don't want those people here. But like, isn't there a significant population out there who isn't on board with infill? What, what do you say to those folks, Mariah, to get them on board with the, the good things that you see about it?
2: To those people that have helped create the neighborhoods that people are drawn to, I I thank them. I first thank them for what they've done. The neighborhood wouldn't look the way it does without them the trees wouldn't be kept as well as they have without them. The people and and things like the trees make beautiful neighborhoods and the the amenities make beautiful neighborhoods. People move to communities because the school system's great or uh, the ice cream is really great uh, or the trees are beautiful, but they don't just move there because the track housing in the area was great. And the way we live is different. The way families look are different, and the way people want to to live are different. And so it it's not an attack on, on the way things were. It's the fact that as time grows, we take lessons learned from them. We respect that that's what is part of our heritage and history. But as we grow, we need to also be appreciative of the fact that they all need places to live in their community. And I want to make sure that they don't get pushed out because They can no longer take care of a single family home. And I want to make sure that other people can appreciate their neighborhood too at a price point that they can actually access because a lot of those homes, a lot of people can't access them because of the price point.
0: Did you notice how Mac phrased something that was going to make me very, very mad as a question to you so that I couldn't. (laughs) Uh, You're not the interviewee, Troy. (laughs) So let's uh, continue the trend of editorializing via questions to you. Um, (laughs) One of the problems, and you alluded to this with affordability, is the infill that we typically see when we think about infill are basically two classes. You have the Stantec Tower-esque sky-high towers downtown that are unaffordable for a very specific reason because they're typically luxury condos. Or you have, you know, skinny homes in a mature neighborhood where they tear down a $400,000 house and build two $800,000 houses. Both very unaffordable. And The affordable stuff has been relegated to this nodes and corridors plan where only on the street gutters where people don't want to live, that's where you can build with any reasonable density. You know, we've ghettoized the concept of infill if I was to editorialize. Do you see that as something that has to change before we can address any material infill progress?
2: If we come out of zoning, renewal district planning and growth management framework, and we're only allowing very gentle (laughs) density on nodes and corridors, we have failed as a city. We will not create sustainable communities. We will not create successful businesses within communities. We will not bring kids back into our mature schools. It will have been for nothing. So if that's where we end up, you can rally the troops and get me out of my job because I won't have done my job well. But it, it doesn't mean we haven't started tackling that issues. So, for example, garden suites are allowed in a lot more places than they were three years ago. Secondary suites, the same thing. Those are small steps that were big at the time that shouldn't have been as big as they were, but they were. Parking is the same thing. We're the first city that to remove on, on-site parking requirements, which is great because it was a huge barrier to both residential and commercial infill. But if we don't push forward on bigger, bolder moves, then this will have been for nothing.
0: Let's transition a little bit and let's add some continuity with last week, because last week we had Dustin Badron, who he talked about trees, all about trees and you know why trees are important. And trees have been a piece of discussion that has come up pretty recently. And Mac and I both noticed that when there was a discussion about city protection of boulevard trees, IDEA spoke against that. And you've spoke about trees being valuable to the neighborhood on this episode. So can you add some context to that opposition to the boulevard tree protection bylaw and where that came from and what we should be doing to protect our trees?
2: Of course. I think we spoke in opposition because often they ask you if you're speaking in favor or opposition and there was changes that we wanted made. So it's not that we don't want a tree bylaw idea. And I think a lot of people within the development industry want an a level playing field uh, to make sure that we do protect our trees because they are a beautiful part of our city uh, and there's multiple benefits to them. We have been working with the City of Edmonton since 2017 to try and help shape the zoning or to help shape a tree protection bylaw, talked to them about different materials that they could use. Uh, We've put on uh, the majority of the education sessions with them so that more people within the industry could know about best practices. IDEA has an education course in partnership with the City of Edmonton. Uh, It's a five-day course, and the fourth day is all about construction practices, and we actually have the forestry team come out and talk all about how to do it and how to do it properly, and we're looking to work with them to create more sustainable ways to do it, because right now they have the snow fencing, which is the preferred way, and it's not very sustainable. Uh, There's other ways that we can do tree protection that's highly visible, that's also recyclable and reusable. Um, But what was being proposed at that time was a mechanism that was kind of like the MNO. It was a blanket type policy with high permitting costs, with a lot of unknowns and a lot of questions still, uh, which was just really frustrating after working with them since 2017. But I think... We're getting to the place, and we're coming back in August, that developers will pay to protect the trees, and the city will pay for the administration to help process the, the permits and enforce the bylaw. And we would really like to see that those who are not playing within the rules after education is done, that those fines are more substantial, because we want to deter the bad actors as much as everyone else does.
1: That's reassuring.
0: We have to dig into that concept of bad actors because that I am sure you know is the plague of the infill discussion. What about that bad infill contractor? What about that person who cracked my foundation? Uh, What about that person who graded improperly and now, you know, my property's flooded and the contractor went bankrupt, so I have no one to sue? Or, What about that big pit where the mezzo was supposed to be? That's an example. (laughs) I have to assume the development industry does not want more regulation, more arduous burden up front in terms of guarantees and other costs associated with development because it's already hard to develop. But on the other hand, the mezzo. So how do we balance these two things to prevent, you know, infill developers from sort of running roughshod over our city while still like encouraging this development to occur?
2: Yeah, well, I think we need to reprioritize our resources. So right now there could be, and like there's over 400 different types of permit fees within the city of Edmonton for development. Um, And each project has its own curated version of it. And so if there's 400 fees, we should be doing something, right? But we're not hitting the nail on the head, clearly, if there's still problem properties. And so when we go to uh, the City Council Urban Planning Committee annually, and we look at what's been happening over the past year, where is the infill liaison or the infill um, compliance team been going? What are they dealing with? Every year that number goes up, but so does the amount of construction and infill. And the problems that we've been working on with the city of Edmonton is as issues come up, they share, that inf- they share the general information with us so that we can share with our, our industry uh, members to say, hey, make sure that your fencing is all the way ac- around the property. Make sure that you're doing tree protection properly. Uh, make sure that you're going out to your neighbors and notifying them of, of things as, as timelines change. So there are still issues, but the numbers show from the city of Edmonton that it's a very small percentage of bad actors. And instead of enforcing the rules on everyone with high permit fees, we need to change the narrative, uh, level the playing field and development, make it easier for infill to happen, and focus our resources, which are quite limited uh, within the city of Edmonton, on those who are continuously not doing right, the right things.
1: Okay, so now we've covered fees, which I think brings us to four of the top five barriers to infill development that IDEA outlined in a position paper published earlier this year. So I want to ask you about the fifth one, which I don't think we've really covered yet, which is financial incentives. What, what does that mean? What kind of financial incentives would IDEA like to see to encourage more infill?
2: So the interesting thing about developing anything with more than four units is it's not done as often as we would like, the community would like, the banks would like, uh, the city would like. And so when it's not done often, the banks don't often feel comfortable financing it. And so it's really hard to get financing for it. And it also creates a significant tax uplift to the area once it's once it's developed. So we're looking to work with the city to say, hey, there's really high infrastructure upgrade costs. There's uncertainty in the approval process. Planning coordination, we could be a bit more coordinated with them to reduce that uncertainty. And we could look at how we take in property taxes during that time of development and redirect those resources because you're going to get a significant property uplift after But while we're building it, developers are often carrying the costs for not only the land, but uh, the interest costs, and then paying property taxes to the city. There's a lot of outflow (laughs) of financials before uh, you get either homeowners or tenants in at the end. So it could be two years, four years, uh, or plus before you see any inflow of cash.
1: So is this kind of like a CRL for infill? We think there's going to be future tax uplift. So let's loan it out to those developers in the, in the short term so that we can see that and realize that?
2: Well, not continue, not just loan it out to the developers, but help us coordinate on paying for this infrastructure upgrades. Uh, instead of doing spot infrastructure upgrades, let's look at the city plan. We know where we're looking to have development go. Let's coordinate that together beforehand so that we're not building, uh, going into a neighborhood 15 times and up, their pipes. We're doing it along some major areas once or twice. And then it's way less disruptive and it's way more cost effective.
1: So these five barriers, infrastructure, permits and process, land use policy and regulations, fees and financial incentives. You shared this letter with the new city manager, Andre Corbold Can you tell us what the reaction was?
2: So he has been really fantastic to work with. We are working with multiple different teams within the city of Edmonton and with EPCOR to took action out these items. So uh, it's necessary to move infill forward. They see it as necessary as well. They understand that the city plan can't get implemented without uh, working on these different barriers. Um, and so we've been really we've been really grateful, I think is the right word, to work with them uh, to help move the infill conversation forward. So I
0: think, and we're getting close to that time, there is one very specific way Uh, And especially I'm thinking uh, in mid-October to move this conversation forward. And that's we've got a big flux and a big change coming to our city council. Have you seen, I assume being the executive director of IDEA, you're keeping up with the election. Um, Have you seen any infill related proposals from election candidates that have caught your eye? Or is there anything specific that you're watching for in this election?
2: Yes. Um, well, I, I'm sure every candidate, if you go to their website, and and I have gone to all their websites, uh, they talk about being more fiscally responsible and and helping move the city forward and creating partnerships and helping us get out of this pandemic. Uh, some of them go into detail around creating being more courageous with partnerships. I think often. Uh, the city doesn't see industry as someone that they can partner on different exciting projects with. Uh, they're like, oh, we'll sell this to you or you build within our our purview uh, instead of us doing it together. So there's opportunities there and some candidates have started to talk about that, which is really exciting. Some candidates have started to talk about creating resources within the city for uh, smaller businesses because really the infill industry is just built up of, a lot of small entrepreneurs that are Edmonton-focused and Edmonton-located uh, to help navigate through the city because the city is, uh, I, I don't remember exactly how many employees they have now, 10,000, 7,000. Uh, I a, think
1: it's closer to 15. 14, 14, 15, 14.
2: It's a lot of, it's a lot of people. Uh, yeah. So navigating through all, all those different processes and people is a lot. And so having someone that you can actually call and uh, get your answers from is really helpful because 311 can't just... Can't be that for all businesses. They think they do a great job at transit and, uh, and helping some community questions, but industry is, is different. Building our city is different, and 311 is not always the right tool for that. There is definitely candidates out there that have experience within Edmonton that are looking to build up Edmonton and have the connections, have, have done things in the past to help remove barriers, to help build up businesses to move Edmonton forward. And I think if, if you look out for their websites and watch who's willing to have those harder conversations, you'll know where to put your vote or where to put your volunteer hours or your donations to help build up our city.
0: Can we expect IDEA to endorse candidates or is that outside of the role of your org?
2: So our organization is putting together a candidate survey uh, we're going to share with all of candidates throughout Edmonton what some of our concerns are, uh, and then ask them to speak to INFIL. Uh, what are their, what's their vision for Edmonton? What are their thoughts around partnering with uh, industry? What are their thoughts around removing some of the barriers that we've identified? And we'll be posting that to our website so that anyone can see how people respond or don't respond. Uh, and then we will be having uh, some forums for people to get to know who's running in, the, in their ward. Uh, And uh, I will tease out that Idea does also have an exciting podcast all centered around development coming soon. uh, Got the plugs in
0: before the plug segment. Good for you.
2: (laughs) 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 Where We'll be talking about city building issues uh, with uh, people from the city of Edmonton, developers, uh, past uh, politicians, uh, and really amazing community members.
1: Okay, before we give you a chance to plug that again, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you an impossible question. Of all the things, as you look out from your position of experience and knowledge and connections and information, all the things you know need to be done to move in, fill forward in Edmonton, what is the most important one?
2: Storytelling, 100%. If we don't tell all different types of people, whether Uh, they're building our pipes, whether uh, they're creating policy, whether they're on council or whether they're uh, in the community or in the development industry, if they don't know why we're moving towards commercial infill or missing middle developments or why we need cost share programs, then nothing will get done. So we need to share those stories about what happens when, when we do build those kind of communities, those complete communities that we talk about so often. Uh, How do we have healthy, walkable, accessible communities? How do we have environmentally sustainable communities? What does multi-generational living even look like? What does mixed-use development look like? If we don't share those stories, share those success stories, um, because there's some great examples within Edmonton, then we'll never get to where we need to go.
1: No hesitation, I love that. Evidently not an impossible question for you at all.
2: (laughs) It's almost like I think about it all the time. <laughs>
1: exactly. Well, thank you, Mariah. This has been really uh, educational and uh, and informative, and we appreciate you taking the time to come and help us and our listeners understand infill a little bit better. Uh, this now is your chance to plug anything, again, if you like, or anything else.
2: So Idea has an amazing weekly newsletter that comes out every Friday. Uh, It will be talking about our upcoming podcast, it talks about policy changes, it talks about what IDEA is doing, what our members are doing, uh, what's happening with fantastic fun things like safety code changes, Um, and it also highlights some of our sponsors and supporters that make IDEA possible, Um, so it's free, subscribe to that. And then listen to our podcast when it comes out, because myself, I'll be one of the co-hosts. And then I have an equally, if not way more funny co-host that I will let them introduce themselves once we're ready to launch.
0: You know, speaking of sponsors and making things possible, this podcast could not be possible without the Edmonton Community Foundation. And we're going to tell you about that right now. Uh, The foundation acts as a bridge between donors and you guessed it, charities. You've heard this ad before to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group. And once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. You can learn more at ecfoundation.org. Mariah, it's been so great having you on the podcast. Um, we went a little bit long, but normally when we go a bit long, I go in the edit bay and I just chop it down. You know, there's like, eh, this question was trash. We're going to chop it down. (laughs) This one, by this point, we're going to basically be the raw audio. It was a really fascinating conversation. And I mean, it started with you just like blowing our minds with, nah, Roger's Place is infill. So only only uphill from there. So it was (laughs) a pleasure having you. Um, You're welcome back anytime.
2: Thanks so much. I would welcome the opportunity to come back.
0: Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac.
2: I'm Mariah. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.